Welcome to episode 14 with Samantha Viegas, president of Savvy PR. Hi, this is Tom Ferguson, VP of Programming for Imagine H2O. This is the podcast that is revolutionizing the way the water industry communicates with the public. It's water in real life with my friends, the H2 duo, Stephanie Zavala and Ariane Shepard. We're dedicated to sharing stories that demonstrate how communication and collaboration move things forward. If you want to overcome your challenges, then you have to build relationships. Each week, we bring you an inspiring person or resource to give you the tools to curate connections with your customers that create impact. Hey, so before we get started, I wanted to tell you about a new way to take notes. If you're anything like us, you have a ton of journals full of notes, but no real method to the madness. Our friend Ryan Beltram from episode five told us about the Rocketbook Smart Notebook. It instantly connects and stores your notes, your doodles, lists in the cloud with a free smart notebook app. So if you want to get your own Rocketbook Smart Notebook, use the code from the future, no spaces, and get 10% off your order. You can find the link to Rocketbook in our show notes at the h2duo.com forward slash 12. I am incredibly excited about this episode because this is a full circle situation for us because Samantha Viegas is part of the reason I'm sitting here today. She, I saw her give a presentation in 2012 on the myths of communication in the water industry and rocked my world, y'all. So today we're excited to get to sit down with her um, virtually and talk ethics and PR and what that means for water providers, why water providers should be branding themselves as if their customers have a choice in who they choose for their service, um, and why employee engagement has to be rooted in reality and not just a catchy tagline like, we're here for you, like you literally, you have to be there for them, you can't just say it. Um, and also, uh, full disclosure, not going to lie, we get a little hype in this episode, y'all. There are some S-bombs dropped. No F-bombs, just S, the innocent little S. And, but this is water in real life, y'all. No editing. Uh, so maybe listen to this episode with the headphones. If you got kiddos or the boss is around and isn't into that, <laughs> isn't into that kind of thing. Um, but we're all adults here. And hey, many of us deal with the wastewater on the daily. So we should be cool with anything poop related. Correct? Correct. All right. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Samantha Villegas, APR, has been kicking butt for more than 20 years as an award-winning communication strategist committed to using her powers for good. She has been a powerful voice on a number of issues, including water conservation, veterans, immigrant rights, common sense gun legislation, energy efficiency, and much more. She has been an active member in the Public Relations Society of America, where she has served as chair of the Mid-Atlantic District, president of the National Capital Chapter, and was elected to to the Society's National Board of Directors. She has also volunteered more than $25,000 worth of pro bono PR counsel and support to social service organizations in Loudoun County, Virginia, where she lives. Sam was a 2017 Washington Women and PR Woman of the Year finalist. She holds a master's degree in environmental policy from Johns Hopkins University and is accredited in public relations by PRSA's Universal Accreditation Board. So Samantha's been an incredibly busy woman, and we're so lucky to have her on the show today. Um, So I had to like... 
her bio, but her full bio is going to be in the show notes. So check that out and you can see um, uh, some more details in the incredible work that she's doing. But thank you so much for being here with us today, Samantha. Thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here. You guys are rocking it. Well, we appreciate that so much. And just before I bust into the questions, I kind of want to talk about why this is a huge full circle special moment for me because uh, me being Stephanie, because it was actually, I think, 2012 or around there where I saw Samantha speak at the North Texas Regional Water Conservation Symposium up here in North Texas. And um, I think it was about 10, the presentation was like 10, the 10 biggest myths around communicating in the water industry. And it kind of is just like, it rocked me to my core and blew my mind. And I, I think I remember going up to you and shaking your hand and getting your, your contact information. And then I reached out to you about like, oh my gosh, tell me more all about this PR world and uh, this whole communication thing and, and, and getting accredited. And, and, and that really fired me up. And I think that that was probably one of the big catalysts for, for me and for, for us being here uh, <laughs> interviewing yay. you on a podcast. Yeah. So yay, yay, yay. I love it. Love it. Love it. Yay. It, and for me, it was like, um, I got to meet Steph or not meet her. I already knew Stephanie, but I like finally got the nerves to like, Hey, you want to be my friend? <laughs> At so, that same moment, the same moment, all of these things are happening. Who knew a water conservation symposium could create that much magic, but, um, babe. right. But, yep. um, so our mentor, uh, has told us me and Ariane that we're, we're trailblazers, but we're definitely aware on a daily basis that we stand on the shoulders of giants and you're definitely a trailblazer and you've been, I would, you, you haven't been doing this since we were in diapers. That's not, <laughs> but I mean, career wise, I guess we were in our career diapers. So thanks for, <laughs> thanks for, um, for being a true trailblazer and coming, coming in hot to that room of people and being like, Hey y'all myths busted. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Well, if I had an impact on just you, that makes it all worth it. I love it. Thank you. Preach sister. So, um, I'm going to be, it was really hard to pare down the questions to the ones that I did because as I, as I started, once I started one going, it was just, they've just snowballed into just this list. And I said, okay, maybe this can be a series of podcasts. I don't know. We have so many things that we would just love to chat about, but, um, uh, but I'll start and uh, we're going to go rogue for a minute. And instead of kicking off with an obvious PR question, because you are a PR professional. I wanted to dive into ethics, actually. And um, the public's perception of water providers can be a little sketch sometimes because of negative associations that they may have with government in general. And so ethics and communicating your ethics and values is, is key for water providers. So you shared with us a presentation that you gave to or give to graduate students, and you began by dispelling this perceived notion of what PR is. Um, can you talk about that and how you communicate that to clients? 
Right. Thank you for that. Um, and it's interesting that when you started, you said, instead of an obvious PR question, I'm going to dive into ethics. <laughs> for, me, uh, for me, yeah, they're, they're part and parcel of the same thing, right? Um, PR has to be ethical. So um, I think it's really important when you're setting up um, expectations with a new client or an organization that you're going to work for, um, that you set from the start what PR is. And so this is actually a question I love to ask in interviews, um, either for a job or when I'm onboarding, mm -hmm. is I ask them to define PR for me. And it's fascinating. It tells me a lot about what they think PR is and what it should do. And it gives me an opportunity to tell them what my brand of PR is. And my yeah. brand, by the way, um, is ethical PR, which um, I think is being lost right now in today's dialogue and conversation at the national level, especially with respect to our federal government and some of the stuff that the communications teams are doing. Mm -hmm. If you get my drift, but um, <laughs> no, listen, I tell them that my loyalty will always be to their mission, but my responsibility and my allegiance, allegiance is to the public good. Yeah. Uh, and so that's kind of why I've gravitated most recently in the last couple of years to more purpose-driven um, nonprofits as a result, because, you know, I think a lot of brands and a lot of young PR professionals mistakenly think that it's loyalty to the brand at all costs and it simply isn't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's kind of where that maybe it probably sounds like an oxymoron to you in terms of how this is an ethics versus PR question, but you know, for, for the average Joe, when they think public relations, they just think of, Oh, if you're bringing in your PR person, it's, you know, for some sort of spin doctor or to turn, to kind of tweak this angle, I must have twerk this angle, but tweak this some kind of angle to um, twerk <laughs> it. Yeah, twerk to make it. some twerk that PR. That um, <laughs> yeah, and and so when I when I was looking at that presentation and you came in hot with just this idea of like, no, that's absolutely you know, and I know in some cases it may be, but that's not what this is about, and that we as PR professionals are actually here to serve the public. And I thought that was, um, that was a great lesson for that young generation of that up and coming generation of PR professionals to really, that's a good place to start. Right. It's, it's reveal, not conceal. I mean, yeah. that is, that is the bottom line of what we do. It's revealing. I am going to pull the curtain back and tell you everything. I am not going to hide your dirty stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I that to clean there. I said stuff, yeah, stuff, stuff. Yes. Hey, it's okay. I told you I can bleep you, girl. Um, <laughs> so um, I'm glad you kind of like transitioned into that. You know, pulling back the curtain because um, one example that you give to your class is a client that let fear really lead when the press came calling about lead in the water. And you teach that this was actually a missed opportunity to tell their story. So, and we see that all the time that there's this perception of our customers hate us or our customers don't trust us or, you know, they see 
14 people talking on social media and they think that somehow that that represents the entire population of their city. And, and yeah, they are the squeaky wheels, but, um, how is this an issue of ethics? Because some will see this, this idea of reveal, not conceal, um, as a threat when they're trying to just act in self-preservation. Right. So self-preservation is that um, default behavior that most companies feel and go into in terms of a, in times of a crisis or a threat, right? Mm-hmm. But that's actually the antithesis of what you need to do to come out of it clean on the, on the other side. So, um, you know, it's certainly a delicate balance, but it boils down to this. Your, does your withholding information from the public hurt the public's ability to make an informed decision, right? Mm. You know, in, the, in terms of, you know, competition and trade secrets, yes, you absolutely have to hold your confidences tight for your company um, to, to maintain competition, to keep trade secrets um, a secret. Um, and then for security reasons, for personnel matters, for, you know, you know public security, you absolutely want to hold on to stuff. But here's, like I said, here's where the difference is. When you're withholding information that puts people in more danger or removes their ability to make an informed decision, then now you're treading into that sketchy water, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had, um, I had someone uh, at a conference recently ask how they can get their director management to uh, support them having social media as a way to communicate with their customers. And it was just, I mean, it wasn't that many years ago that we were struggling with that same issue too, but it just seems sort of crazy that in 2018, we're still having to convince people that getting out front and telling their own story is, you know, a good idea or a good strategy. And there's so much fear kind of involved with this idea of, well, well, if I'm not there, then it's not actually happening. But, you know, (laughs) (laughs) so couldn't be further from the truth. The conversations are happening, whether you like them or want or or don't. Mm -hmm. And if you want to have any influence over them, you have to be in there. And if you want to drive the agenda or drive the point of the conversation, then you need to be first with it. And so that's good for advice for proactive and reactive and crisis. Yeah. Um. So what advice can you give to communicators and PR professionals out there that are facing some of those similar situations, either with um, the fear of social media or the fear of actually responding to press inquiries when issues are coming out? You know, what what can they do to kind of move their people beyond that fear and and show the value in that in communicating? So, you know, we're going to talk about uh, Occam's razor, I know, a little bit later, but, you know, honesty is actually easier, right? You know, people think that lying is easier. I'm surprised at how many companies think that lying makes a problem go away faster. (laughs) Um, 
It never did with my own mom. So I don't know why it would with it. Okay. Okay. So exactly. So it does not work with personal relationships, right? You know, I tell my husband this all the time, like, you know, sweetie, rip the bandaid off and give me the bad news. Why, why are we prolonging this, you know, whatever this news is, but, um, Honesty is better. It's forgivable. What's not forgivable is lying on top of your bad behavior. So, you know, we're fallible people. We make mistakes, but we also have more trust in people who own up to their mistakes and uh, that make them, you know, that's honesty, authenticity, and, and, and we trust in that. Think yeah. about people in organizations that just seem per- perfect. It, they're suspicious, right? right. Yeah. Perfection is suspicious and nobody's that good. Um, so, you know, here's, so what I coach them is honesty, you know, works your way out of a bad situation better than anything else can. Um, you will be forgiven, but you've got to own up to it. Yeah. It takes uh, being vulnerable really does, you know, take it to a real level that you can, you know, show vulnerability and people forgive that. Yeah. They they like that. Yeah. It's not it. We need to like work on promoting vulnerability more as a strength and not a weakness because in, in those circles, it tends to run as a weakness. Whereas people actually, like you said, see more, um, see more value in the truth. Absolutely. So what are some of the hardest decisions communicators and PR professionals have to make in the real world that are related to ethics? And what are your, what's your advice to them? Right. Uh, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> well, you, you got something else there? Well, no, I, I kind of wanted to give you um, my example was that when I was in grad school, my professor, Becky Johnson, who's the reason that I am in water, said that all of you are going to all of you are going to have a situation where you're going to be asked to do something that's going to rub you wrong. And it's going to be your responsibility to make the right choice that's in the best interest of, you know, the, the public and the, the, the health and the environment of the community that you're working in. And so um, I was just wondering when look, when having those conversations with students, like what are some, that's kind of where I was coming from with this question is like, what is, what is it that you are telling them? Like you're same kind of thing. You guys are going to be facing some tough choices. I think you're absolutely right. So, you know, the big one is what are you going to do? Are you going to leave? Um, do you have the bank account that enables you to leave? Maybe you don't, but make no mistake when, when a business is behaving badly that you're involved in and you read the signs from the start and realize that they're not going to do the right thing or they're not willing to, you know, um, you know, pull the full Monty, you know, take responsibility for their actions, apologize, correct it, whatever. Um, having been there, that is a, a, um, that is a stomach ache and a fever that you wake up with every day and have to go in and do. And the everlasting effects on your reputation are real. So, um, it's it, the, the bottom line is, are you going to stay or leave? You know, 
Yeah. Thank you to the clash on that. Um, so that's the thing, your reputation, your his, you know, what history are you making for yourself that you're going to live with? Or are you going to stand by, um, a, a code of ethics? Are you going to, um, have the guts in the moment? And here's the other thing that I tell students and young professionals is these moments are happening more frequently than, than you think you have to pay attention mm -hmm. it, when the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, you got to speak up. You've got to open your mouth. And a lot of times, you know, um, you're not just the communications officer, you're the conscience officer for the organization. You may yeah. be the only one in the room that is going to speak up and say, oh my God, you guys, that's not right. And yeah. we've got to do, you know, I was, I was sitting in a meeting not too long ago, um, saying to the group of people, if you don't, if you are wondering whether we're at a crossroads, we are, this is a big moment right now where we're deciding what organization are we, are we going to, you know, um, enable this kind of behavior and, um, let this kind of thing fester, or are we going to take a leadership role? And I guarantee you, um, it is a lonely place to be. It's a scary place to be. But if you stand on ethics, you will come out okay. Mm, yeah. And that was some advice that our mentor had given us. I mean, the, the moment we kind of said, okay, we're, we're thinking about taking this leap. And he said, you know, if I can give you any advice, it is for you to, to truly know like your core values and where you stand, because, you know, you're no longer, of course, there's, you know, poor ethics in, you know, public service. But when you're out in the private world, it seems even more prevalent. And so he's like, know your core values and what you stand for and what you won't stand for um, before you just take this leap. And we had to kind of both Stephanie and I talk about that and have some deep, deep conversations about that. What because I could get offered a, you know, a contract that sounds great or a job that sounds great. And I take it back to her and she says, Oh, I don't know. This doesn't feel right. And we have to both be able to stand for it together. And, and that was really some great advice that he gave us. Yeah. I mean, you know, no doubt if you take a look at, you know, the news anytime today, yesterday, the last six months, the last six years, um, there's a whole heck of a lot of people who are still choosing money over ethics. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. I can't, it's, it's, um, it's heartbreaking. I've, I've had to walk away from opportunity and money. Um, but I sleep really well at night. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, that's what's most important is that you're he's able to sleeping. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yes, 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's funny how there is this um, perception in the public sector because we had it too when we were there that the private world is just all all about one thing. And yes, there obviously is a capitalistic nature to the private world, but there's a lot of great people out there doing great things that are doing mission driven work as well and trying to make a difference in in the world. But um, you know, but th that's not to say that there's not people who aren't doing some sketch things in the public world as well, which is what Arianne kind of was alluding to. But, um, but I think it's as long as we're kind of just moving beyond that fear of doing the right thing and just trusting in 
humanity that they're going to see through your mistakes and and see you through to the other side of of any crisis or situation word up or maybe you don't and you deserve (laughs) it and you should get canned i don't know (laughs) what are your thoughts on water utilities investing on cultivating their brand as a tool to establish a higher perceived value of their product which is water with their customers Right. So it's essential. Um, But I have to, it's essential that they do that. But I have to caveat this with the, um, with the um, uh, statement that, you know, remember that a brand is not a logo or a tagline, right? It's, that's not what we're talking about here. We're investing in behavior. We're investing in training people Mm -hmm. to do the right thing and say the right thing. And, um, you know, um, serve people in a way that, um, you know, is respectful and meets expectations and all of those things. So, um, yeah, anyone that's not doing that is likely missing out on a opportunity, but also B just, um, you know, success, like having those high customer ratings, having those people, um, you know, that are, you know, not just your customers, but would choose you if they didn't have the choice, you know, exactly. I mean, if they, they could choose you if they had the choice. So in a lot of cases, water utilities, you know, just take advantage of the fact that they have a, a an essential monopoly, but you want to behave as if tomorrow they had a choice, they'd still pick you. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Because a lot of times when I try, cause I love branding and I love the, um, just kind of the magic that happens when companies really invest in that. And I, and I can, obviously I see water and everything. And so I can sort of see the potential of, and there's some cities across the country for sure that have really uh, invested in building up their brand and, and have that relationship with their customers. But sometimes when we talk about branding, we, we get like a lot of deer in headlights and blank faces because that's just not a, a phrase or topic that's commonly thought of in the public sector, especially whether water utility or a water provider. Um, so I love that you kind of broke it down in terms of, you know, we need to kind of start looking outside of, of how we've always looked at things. And, and like you said, really beginning to look at it, like what would our organization look like if our customers could choose, like how, how much harder would we be investing in showing them and serving and showing them the quality of the product that we're giving them and the people that are working towards giving it and also the customer service aspect of that too and making sure that we're delighting them. I can't think of a better word, but right. No, it's, it's true. Here's a quick example. I was working with an organization that was a utility that was having an issue with their, um, Uh, union workers. So the union workers were feeling unloved. They were feeling taken advantage of. They were feeling all of these feelings. And the organization called me and they were like, you know, what we want to do is a education campaign that lets them know that we got them, that we care about them. And, And I went back to them and said, do you care about them? (laughs) Do do you have them? So what are the things that you're doing? And let's look at that and look if there's some places where we can shore that up. 
And they kept coming back to me going, well, no, you know, we just want the education campaign. We want to tell them that we need a catchy tagline and a, and a phrase we can use that, you know, we got you or whatever. And I said, but if you don't got them, if they're not feeling <laughs> cared for, then I don't care what you call it. It's just another, you know, um, a stupid, you know, slogan, you know, yeah. so the, the behavior is what has to be there. They have to feel it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just another empty promise then if, you know, and especially in our, in the water industry, a lot of the men and women out there in the field doing some of the toughest jobs around, in my opinion, and not getting paid much are like those kind of extra things are that employee um, engagement and employee development is, you know, some of that is sometimes the only thing that they, they have because they may not be able to always get the, what's the, the paycheck that they want mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you yeah. know? And so those things really speak volumes and yeah, like what a, what a terrible thing to say that we, that we got you, but, but you know, only on paper. <laughs> Right. <laughs> There's nothing behind it. Well, I'm glad that you kind of slightly segued into internal comms because that's what we're going to talk about next, right after we take a break to see from our sponsors or hear from our sponsors. Yeah, we're going to hear from We're going to hear from them. We're not going to see them, but. <laughs> and break. And here's my dance break. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash water in real life and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title for free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash forward slash water in real life. Okay, so we're back and thank you. And we're going to shift to communication, internal communication specifically. Um, we believe that our or that you have to have your story straight internally um, before you can even begin to expect your audience to understand your story. So how do internal communications and employee engagement impact an organization? Right. So I think it's probably the single biggest influence over your brand. What kind of brand you are is how you treat your employees, right? It's all connected. So respected, supported employees are engaged and happy employees and they do better for you and by you. I mean, period. Right. Yeah. And the converse is true. When you're shitting on your employees, they are not there for you. I'm sorry. They're not going to care. So, um, this again is common sense, but we get it wrong. <laughs> we get it wrong we, all the time, all the time. Yeah. And I don't, uh, do you have like a good example of somebody who's, um, well, okay, let me start with, cause that, cause employee engagement is something that comes naturally for some organizations, especially those that have a strong leadership culture. So can you give us some kind of bite-sized case study examples of organizations that are doing this well? Like where are they succeeding? What are some specifics of how they're really nailing it? Right. So I got to give a shout out to Connecticut Water. 
Um, yeah, this is a great um, private water organization that serves um, Connecticut, uh, lots of communities in Connecticut. And I did some work with them on their internal comms. They, they wanted to, you know, here's where you know that someone's doing it right is they wanted to evaluate how well they were doing. They wanted to evaluate their internal communications program. Yeah. How many water utilities have you heard of expending resources, not just on internal comms, but evaluating how well we're doing it so we yeah. can do better? So that was your first indication that they are really serious about it. But I have to say, after having worked with them this past winter, I have never come across an organization of employees that across the board were so consistently happy wow. and engaged and felt respected. The leadership expends tremendous resources on employee communications. Mm. Um, they took a lot of pains to make sure that everybody understood you know, what their um, value system is and what their mission is. And um, they spend a lot of resources to make sure that everybody feels um, first of all, has the tools and, and equipment and information that they need to do their job well. But they, there's so much layering of that. They have, um, you know, understanding that most people, and this should not be a shock to anybody, but most people prefer face-to-face -face communication with their managers <laughs> and their team. You know, we what? don't... Yeah, crazy, right? So we text and that's fine and we email and that's fine. But when it comes down to it, you've got to have that face-to-face -face touch point. So Connecticut Water, um, I think, really sets the standard. They, um, I knew I was going to forget this. They, oh, um, is it Smart Talk or Real Talk? They do these weekly meetings with their, um, across the board, every department, every operational unit does, um, I think it's called smart talk or real talk, something like that. But um, that's my love for Connecticut water. They get it. Um, they layer on the communication. They layer on the resources. They expend the time and energy to make sure their employees are taken care of. And um, guess what? They're rocking and rolling up there. Yeah. In so. And that's what's so funny is most of the time, it's not a whole lot of money you have to invest in communicating. It's literally just time, time, yeah, energy. And it's like, just a little bit of effort towards that really is a, makes a huge difference. You got it. When I first started at my very first water utility, um, our director started calling the, these weekly meetings and everybody was like, oh, uh, I have nothing to talk about. Oh, uh, why do I have to go to this meeting? But we all knew what everyone was up to and we all knew that if someone else in the group was hitting a roadblock and maybe that was a roadblock that I could clear up for them, then they wouldn't, I wouldn't have known about that unless we would have been sitting around the same table and just kind of firing off what each of us had going on and any issues that we were having. And most of the time someone else around the table could help out whatever roadblocks they were hitting. And it just, it became, so, and it was a very, like, it was a very efficiently agenda run meeting. I mean, it wasn't one of those meetings that lasts like four hours and you never get anywhere. But I mean, there's just so much value in communicating regularly. And um, I want to go on a little bit of a tangent with you because I know that you also do strategic planning in your work. And you did touch on the idea of mission, vision, core values. 
Like how fundamental do you think that is to an organization to not only have those things in place, but also to have everyone aligned and be a part of that and just have them like up on the wall or visible in some way where it stays fresh on the mind? Having worked in places where that exists and in places where it doesn't, it makes a huge difference. It sounds really hokey. I I agree. Like having that stuff on the wall or whatever, but it makes a difference. First of all, it sets, um, it, it sets expectations, but it also empowers employees because if they're reminded of what you're about and they're not feeling it, then they're empowered to go to someone and say, we're not living our values. We're not, that's not, we're not, it gives somebody a, an underling and an opportunity and an ability to push back on a supervisor and say, you know, here, we're, we're supposed to do this, you know? So, um, I think it's critically important. I think it makes the difference. Um, lost my train of thought, but in, in vigorous agreement with you on that, it's very, very important. Yeah, we, uh, we're kind of obsessed with this book called The Four Disciplines of Execution, and there's another one called Traction, and they're both, they're very similar in the sense that they're um, very strategic, strategically driven books, but in Traction I was reading where the guy encourages leadership to communicate with their organization every 90 days to reiterate the mission, the vision, the core values, because we as human beings are just, we're not wired to be thinking way down the road. We're, we're always kind of in that survival mode of, okay, what's happening today? Or, you know, maybe we can handle like the end of the week or maybe even next week. But when we're driving towards these goals that are 60, 90, 180 days, whatever, out in terms of working towards them, we always have to be reminding ourselves of what we're doing, why we're doing it, and and what the end goal is. And um, I just, I thought, I thought of that a lot in what you were saying with the, with Connecticut and that example, because that's just that I love that they're meeting weekly and that there's so many things out there in terms of like real leadership and um real strategy that they're so simple but because they're so simple and they may have some of that what some would consider like hokiness factor but they're so incredibly um they work (laughs) yeah yeah and so it's interesting and i remembered what i was going to tell you is um not everybody's really well skilled at delivering those you know meetings right those managers don't always have the personality or the skill set to be good at um, facilitating a good conversation or leading. You know, a lot of times you might have someone who is just reading from a piece of paper and the employees will say, well, I could have just read that as an email. So what are you bringing to the table? So, you know, that's another thing with Connecticut Water is they care about these, these managers who are doing it. They want to make sure that they're doing it right. And they're making sure that these folks get the training that they need Mm. to not just read from a sheet of paper, but clue into nonverbal behavior and make sure that there isn't somebody monopolizing the conversation and check in with the folks that are quiet and know how to take a conversation to a one-on-one, like all of these skills that, you know, in a water utility, communication is often referred to as the soft skill, but mm. I think it's one of the hardest things that 
a really analytical, you know, engineering and financial organization does. It is not in their DNA. And so them learning it, you know, I tell engineers all the time, just because I can work a can opener doesn't make me a an engineer. It doesn't make me someone, I can work a simple machine. It doesn't make me an engineer. Just like if you can write a letter, it doesn't make you a great communicator. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> savvy to it. So anywho. Just just because you can write an email don't make you a communicator, bro. <laughs> no, coming in hot, man. I bet you like, man, I bet you make some of them bulls shake in their socks. Red <laughs> pen, get out of here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, okay, bringing it back to... Um, well, we're, we kind of already talked about some of the things. Let's say an organization is winning at internal comms, leadership. Uh, let's take it outside of the organization. Um, I was listening to an episode of your podcast, Serial Mom. Shout out. Check it out. And <laughs> you were talking about the vital role of customer service to public, to public relations. Um, in fact, I think it at one point you were saying if you have, if you're killing it at, at customer service, then that is your public relations. So give us your take on that as related to the water industry. Right. So a couple of years ago, I actually talked on this very topic at the Virginia section of AWWA's conference. Um, and, you know, this is the thing, this industry, the water sector is so far behind in meeting very basic expectations that consumers have today. And I'll give you a couple of examples. First and foremost, you know, how do you, how do you, how does a customer primarily interact with their water utility? Paying the bill. Mm -hmm. yeah. And if you are not offering mobile billing, then you're not meeting just the basic expectation of what every product and service is doing out there today. Mm -hmm. um, yep. So it, I get that, that because their scales are so much smaller that this is a heap of an investment for them, but it's, it's an important one for them to confront. Um, the second is the way we interact with our customers is the water quality, the product itself. So how easy is it for a customer to understand their water quality? Um, it, it, we're horrible at that. Mm. Um, where are the apps, real-time apps of water quality? The technology to build that out is there, but are we making that investment? You know, we're still, you know, we're still very, very slow to adopt the available technologies and to meet those expectations. So, so here's my, you know, here's my caution to water utilities that aren't doing that people aren't going to give two shits about your social responsibility, your, you know, new fandangled, whatever that you're doing until you can make it super convenient for them to pay a bill or check their water quality. These are their basic things. Um, and, and so they don't really care about all, all that other stuff. You know, if you are, let's say upgrading infrastructure, a larger pipe or whatever, the only thing the customer cares about is when I flip this, does it still come on? Does it still taste good? Does it not smell funny? And can I pay my bill easy? Mm -hmm. And it's just so funny because we get, we get so focused on, you know, the vendor and the infrastructure and look at what all we're doing, but 
don't forget where the customer interacts with it is more basic than that. Mm -hmm. um, so take care of that first and then they will compliment you on your big pipe industry. You know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like some of the, the, um, what's the word I'm looking for template, I guess, for the, the consumer confidence report is this just completely intimidating, boring, full of crazy acronym and weird words, just chart. And for a lot of cities that either don't see the value and, you know, up in their game in that, in that, in that respect, or in just, okay, the state says, I just got to send that thing out. We'll just send a black and white copy front and back. Um, you know, because in some cases the customers will be upset if a utility does anything creative with it and, and tries to create a more, um, creative way to send it out and it's required to go to everyone. So then they, they tackle or they wrestle with, well, so, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say, Stephanie, take that criticism. If that's the criticism you get from the customer, take that as an entree to a great conversation that you can have with them that says, absolutely, we spent more money on this and here's why. This is the single most important thing we tell you about is the quality of the water you're drinking. So yeah, we are spending money on this Heck to yeah. help you understand it. Heck yeah. Um, but I'm you're give secondary. you a hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah, girl. <laughs> but you know, I blame, let's throw some blame where it's due, and that's EPA for that required lingo, that required structure. We're really in a box in terms of how we deliver the info. Um, a lot of times I've tried to make it better working with utilities, and you go back to that, well, this is the lingo. You cannot change this paragraph. Um, so that makes it tough. The CCR, the water quality report, whatever you want to call it, is a challenge, but I would tell utilities, um, take that criticism and, and make that one of the most important things that you spend time and resources on because it really is critically important to the customer. Amen. I'm going to soundbite that and send it to a few friends of mine. Yeah, to like a whole distribution list. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, absolutely. And to, um, and to remember that you're I guess really to take, to keep in the forefront of your mind, the demographics of your audience and not trying to kind of serve up the information all in the same way, you know, because some people, your older population may appreciate having a, a printed copy available for them, even if it's not mailed to everyone, but just available to them or some just strictly want it digital and online or, you know, and so I think that, that whole one size fits all isn't isn't also a good communication strategy either because your customers want to get information the way that they're normally getting information from outside sources and so we kind of have to match that because like you said their expectation of what we offer is in their minds no different than any other company private or public that they're working with in real life uh Absolutely. We, it's unfortunate. It's unfair. We get, you know, utilities will get, um, first of all, they get compared to other utilities. They get compared to telecom. They get compared to cable. They get compared to cell phones. They get compared to some really um, well-resourced um, 
other um, industries. You know, cell phone technology companies are extremely well resourced, um, but to the consumer, you're just another utility along them. So why are you so back ass where it's with everything? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, they, they get even roped in with, you know, the, the rest of the city, be, you know, being, well, this is raising my taxes or, you know, like it's a separate fund in most cases or a lot of cases. And people just don't understand, you know, the necessity of like, for instance, the water quality report, like they just don't understand how important it is to get that information to, you know, the, the entire population in the best way possible. And if that's still mailing it, then that's still mailing it. And if it's a combination, like they just wrote that in as, well, that's why my taxes are higher. It's like, no, like there's such a miss, like a miscommunication between the resident and the entity, the government, the whatever, you know, municipality that is there. And I think that kind of segues nicely into my next question um, <laughs> because that's the industry needs more humanization and they need employees working in the industry um, the way that industries view their customers. We use terms like ratepayer and connections. And ironically, you know, we're not even connected to our connections. Like physically, yes, we're connected to you, but there is no communication connection between them. And it's so frustrating. And so do words, obviously I've got your, bleh. so I'm going to go ahead and assume that words matter when we're communicating with our customers, not calling them rate payers is a big deal. Um, absolutely, words matter. That's um, the idea of utilities that refer to their customers publicly as ratepayers is one of my like biggest just pet peeves. Like every time I hear it, and I hear it a lot, which is which kills me. Even from some of the best utilities out there, to you know, it's one thing when you're under the tent with your employees and you're just talking about, hey, we're going to talk about all our stakeholders, ratepayers, partners, vendors, government officials, that's fine. But the second you leave those doors, this communication goes public. Um, to refer to the people on whom your success depends, your customers, as ratepayers, I mean, it's like, you might as well call them dollar signs, you know, yeah. like, hey, dollar sign. Hey, dollar sign. Hey, money in my pocket. How much money you're going to give me today? Yeah. Um, oh your customers are your partners in this in this um, mission. Uh, you both have a shared responsibility. It's a shared responsibility. Uh, that you know, that's another thing that you know. Um, I think a lot of water utilities miss is they're delivering a product to the door. It's like if you buy a shirt at a store, there's care instructions on your shirt. You, um, it's not going to be the same as when the designer created it or the store gave it to you. You're going to go ahead and change it and wash it and things like that. And the water utility owes it to the customer to give them the care instructions for their water to keep it as good as it is when it crosses over that threshold. Um, so shared responsibility, um, words absolutely matter. Um, we could go down a whole path of the way our language is constructed to favor um, certain populations over others and how language is constructed to put, um, to continue to put disadvantaged communities at a disadvantage. It happens everywhere, but I think 
be in the water utility, the very least we could do is not refer to our customers as rate payers. You got me on a tangent there, woman. You got me on a tear. Yeah. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, no, I, uh, I love that you talked about shared responsibility too, yeah. because, um, you know, that's like the double-edged sword of you have these people who, who want to, who see this entitlement of that's my money. You're going to spend it the way I went. You're going to pinch every penny that you can. Oh, but I want this in crazy, insane level of service and expectation. And like, come on, you have to, you have to have, and obviously I am not saying that uh, any, any company, whether it be utility or whatever, shouldn't be spending public funds appropriately. But like, if you're going to view us on the same plane as these other, as these other utilities, like telecommunication, like you were talking about, then you have to understand that that takes a level of investment, especially on the technology side, the, the customer service side, the the mobile app side, because all of that, all of that is incredibly expensive, especially when you need it to be offered to every single customer in your, in your service area. So, um, it's just shared responsibility 100%. And I feel like that we as customers also need to understand that shared responsibility doesn't mean, um, doesn't mean me getting to tell you how you spend every penny, but building a relationship built on trust where I know that you see me truly as a customer and you're going to do the utmost to provide the best service possible. Yeah. Yeah. Or even a partner, even more than a customer, but a partner. Yeah. You know, Hey, you know what one of the other words is that we've got to stop with is flushing. We're <laughs> flushing a lot. Yeah. Flush your, flush your lines. Do, do, you know, water utilities forget that we, in the household, a flush is a toilet. Yeah. And if you want people to flush their lines, it's called run the faucet. That's, yeah. that's the term we use. We run the faucet. Oh so anyway. About that. <laughs> We're just flushing oh my, the lines. Like, what oh are they, what are, they're like, what are they doing? Like going to the bathroom in them and then flushing yeah. them? Yeah. Like, we, Okay. We forget, you know, and we're going to, we're going to dose you with chlorine. We're going to spike the chlorine and a customer, a consumer and a customer is like, you're going to what now? What are yeah. you doing now? You know, it's, we're going to disinfect it, you know, but anyway, yeah. we could go on and on just about language. Yeah. I think, we're have I think we need to have another episode of just like shit Bad utilities language. say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Overheard. Yep. Um, so I wrote a blog about how communication, I believe, is um, the Occam's razor of the water industry. And for anyone who doesn't know, the Occam's, Occam's razor is the idea that in all, thing, all things being equal, the simplest solution is the answer. And um, we learned recently that you and I both kind of share this love for the Occam's razor metaphor and we say it meaning that communication to us is and better communication is sort of like the low hanging fruit and it's treated as oh well we you know that's just fluff we don't have money to invest in that but really that should be the very that's the easiest <laughs> that's the easiest thing to start doing right and to us something that's going to have the most impact so what is your take on the Occam's razor metaphor 
Right. So, you know, Stephanie, this is why we're like such soul sisters, because I, I invoke Occam's razor all the time with clients. Um, you know, communications is not rocket science. Like they will, clients will come to me and say, we, we stepped in a big pile of dog shit. What do we do? And I will say to them, um, well, um, you tell them that you stepped in a big pile of dog shit. That is what you tell them. You tell them what happened. They're like, what do we say? Like, what do you think you say? And, you know, if they're first, you know, getting past the fact that their first instinct is to lie and say what, you know, say something didn't happen when it did, you know, it's, it's, it's not, (laughs) it's not hard. The path of least resistance is, might be hard because you're telling the truth. Maybe it looks, reflects poorly on you. Again, we're coming full circle back to this original conversation, but truth is your way out of the cave. So um, your easiest solution is honesty. And you say, okay, we made this mistake. Here's what we learned from this mistake. Here's what we're doing to fix it. And here's what we're doing to ensure that it doesn't happen again. Mm. Bam. Bam. It's exactly what I do every time I forget to put deodorant on. (laughs) I just let everyone in the room know, just so you know, you know that I know I forgot to put deodorant on. I smell today. So what I'm going to do is fix that. I'm going to put deodorant on when I get home. But I need you to understand that I smell. Here's hashtag what I love honesty. about that. that. Hashtag honesty. I mean, that is your, okay, so that is your mini crisis example. Yeah. Of <laughs> and I'm you, you know you did something that is going to hurt all other people around you, but yeah. you took ownership. You t- proactively exclaimed what happened. So everyone knows Mm. I can't, I can't fault you for that. I I have to just go, okay, she's aware and she's fixing the problem and we're going to all move on. Yeah. That is a perfect. You're not going to spend all day going. (laughs) Cause you already know what the issue is. Yeah. (laughs) I already know. And I can move on and I know, you know, and I know you're (gasps) taking care of it. Perfect example. So everybody listening now from the communicators to the directors to the entrepreneurs to whoever you are, when you think of crisis communication, I just want you to think Arian's armpits and that's how you deal with it right there. (laughs) Rip that bandaid off. Rip it off. Mm -hmm. All right. So um, I love that you said that we're soul sisters. Hey. And that leads me to my last question. Um, What's a piece of advice you can give to the next generation of women in water? Because we actually have one sitting right in front of us right now. She is our intern. Her name is Erin Ruskowski. So everyone out there who is going to be hiring in about three years, um, be writing that name down because she is a rising sophomore at the University of Alabama uh, studying environmental engineering and policy. And she is a badass all around and Spanish too. And so... Like she can't hear you right now because we're on headphones, but she's going to hear this later. So what is one piece of advice or you can give multiple, I don't care that you, uh, that you can give to the next generation of women like Erin and others that are, that are want to get into water and are passionate about it. Right. Right. So thank you for asking this. This is the most important question of the day. And Mm -hmm. it's so awesome. Um, not just for women in water, but women everywhere, women in every profession, in every city, um, in every sector. My advice is don't accept the bullshit. Don't allow yourself to be disrespected. 
um, there is a ton of sexism in the water industry and harassment. It's conscience, it's conscious and it's unconscious. Like mm -hmm. there, because there are folks that grew up literally professionally in their careers, men that grew up in this field and never learned otherwise because people were either too chicken to correct it or it was the way things always were. Girlfriends have to speak up and not be disrespected and stop it in its tracks when you come across it and look for that biased language and look for the occasions and the sentences and the policies and the procedures that are um, subtly unfair because they're there and you've got to stand up and go, hmm, would this be applied to men? Would this be applied to fathers? Would this be applied to whoever? I mean, you have to look at that and you have to speak up or else it's going to keep going. Yep. Oh, yeah. It's going to persist. Ooh. One hundo. Yeah. I mean, when I started in, not when I started in the biz, it was more of like a whole public works thing, not just specifically in water. And you know, I was a 20, how old was I? 25 year old woman in this male dominated. You know, I was a lot of times when I went to conferences or meetings, I was like one of like three or a handful of women in the room. And that's definitely changed even in the yeah. 10 years, you know, I've, we've been in the game, but, um, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like I'm not, I'm not easily offended or whatnot, but there's definitely been times in my my life where I did kind of feel like I was, you know, being patted on the head. <laughs> I wasn't like physically patted on the head, but like maybe verbally patted on the head. Like, aren't you precious? Or what do they say here? Aren't you bless your heart? Bless I'm your sorry. Heart. That's why we say it on here. And, you know, just like having the guts to just kind of own your intelligence and own your badassery and speak up in meetings and don't be afraid. If you're the only woman sitting around the table not being afraid to either be the one in the room that says, hey, this doesn't really jive well with the mission and values of this organization or simply, hey, I have an idea. Um, but just not having the fear of raising that hand, just get in the conversation, ladies. So here's, here's an easy hack that all women can do and should do. Um, and this, um, happens, this actually happened in the Obama administration. Like this, I was, I was seeing this happen in different places all over, you know, different workplaces, but I, then I read that it actually happened in the Obama administration. So a common thing that happens to women in a male dominated workplace is they either get talked over in a meeting or they, um, have an idea, they communicate, they articulate that idea it gets glossed over and a few moments later uh, a man in the room articulates the exact same thing and all of a sudden everyone hears it for the first time and credits him with it so the hack the thing that we can all do in the workplace is when a woman has an idea is for all the other women to go out of their way to say I love Stephanie's idea. Stephanie's idea to do the blah, 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 that idea that Stephanie had, that was a fantastic idea that Stephanie had. And just, it'll sound ridiculous, but it needs to be done um, because I got to tell you, like all day, every day, story of my life. You know, you say something and then later some, some, and everyone just kind of glosses over. And then five minutes later, some Joe has the same thing. And it's like, whoa all right joe and it's like no no 
That was me five minutes ago, but yeah. go on. Yeah. Man. I feel like I try and do that. You know, I, I, I love to give credit where credit's due. Yeah. And we know so many people who are doing so many amazing things that I'm sure anyone who's listened to the first like 13 episodes is probably tired of us hearing some of the same names that we repeat, but it's because like we dig what they're doing and, and you know, some of them are men, some of them are women, but just like in general, like supporting each other. Exactly what you said. Communication is not brain surgery or rocket science. Like it's, it's, it's the, the theory of it is simple. You know, we can, there's more creative people out there who can do more creative things and whatnot, but like in a whole, and communication is relatively a simple idea. And, and that we shouldn't be sitting here kind of like hoarding our ideas or worrying about who gets credit for what. I mean, we're all on the same team, y'all team water. Like, come on, let's just, let's mind share this and brain share or whatever you want to call it and just support one another and give credit where credit's due and, you know, make this industry badass. Better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So, um, we're going to go into our, we call it the lightning round, but it, it really, it usually goes kind of slow. So I'm going to let Arian <laughs> kick it off. Yay. <laughs> So I want to know what your favorite book is right now, one that you can recommend to everyone. Okay, so I just finished reading Chrissy Metz's This Is Me. Have you guys caught that? So, you know, she's on the show This Is Us. She plays the sister, the daughter. And she, her um, autobiography, this, this book is one of the most inspirational books I've read in the last couple of years. And, and I've, put that on top of, you know, before this, it was Amy Poehler's Yes, Please, which I I read that and I was like, yes, taking on the world, but go read Christy Metz's This Is Me. I've never seen, uh, read somebody who had every reason, every reason to have so much um, hate in her heart and so much pain and, and, and be the exact opposite. She approaches everybody with such love and kindness and understanding. And, um, you know, she just has made it through such uh, an incredible ordeal and come out so loving. And I just, I love her so much. Um, Made me want to work hard at myself. So. Arianne makes me want to hard at hard work at my hard at myself. Yeah. No, no, Arianne no. makes me want to work harder at being a better person because she's been through some stuff too and, and has come out as this just amazing, funny, caring, loving person. So now I want to read that book because this yeah. is like... I book, have to write my book. Pre- I can just read hers. <laughs> this is the prequel to Arianne's book. And I haven't read Amy yeah. Poehler's, but I want to read that one. I, I did read Tina Fey's Bossy Pants and that was awesome. So if you haven't read that one, check that one out too. That is good too, but any polar, yes, please. Yeah. I love, that yep. was good too. All right. What's something that you do every day that drives your productivity? So I'm a list maker, you guys. I, I am an old fashioned list maker. Don't give me that task on Outlook type BS or oh, yeah. some stupid app on the iPhone. I don't <laughs> do that. I have little pads of paper everywhere and I make my lists. Mm. and I time them. I time activate my tasks. So it's like, 
Yes, 10 to 12, I will do oh. podcast. And ah. from one, 12 to 1, I will eat and laze about the house. Ooh. And 1 to 4, I will do this. So that is my life hack. That is my, it's stupid, but it works for me. Yeah. Well, I like how you made it sound so much sexier by saying you time activate your post-it notes. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, so you just put them in your calendar. Okay. <laughs> I, I tell myself when I have to do it. And uh -huh. if I do things that were not on the list, I write that shit down and cross it off because yeah. that's important to capture for, you know, fate and, and history. Yeah. Like acknowledgement. Like, yeah, I did that too. Uh -huh. I did gotcha that too. Uh -huh. Yeah. My, our intern, my intern, our intern, Erin, <laughs> um, she started making this task list, la, the task list yesterday and her task list had goals on it. <laughs> I was like blown away by this. It was like, cause I, we put her to do this, this one task and it was a hundred, 300 and 500 were her goals that she had to meet. And she checked them off. Like when she made that hundred, you know, person list and then made, went on to the next one. I was like, what? So adding even little goals to it was like, oh, duh. That's too type A for me. I can't do goals well. It on is that. type A. Yeah, I'm type B. She is type A. And I also want to thank you for recognizing that we would like get carried away and talk too much and and take you to noon instead of eleven thirty. Yeah, let's be real here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. But uh. So this is the last question that we ask everybody. Um. And it's and it's all it's your call to action here. So a lot of people think, oh, well, what difference does it make if I make a change? I'm just one person. That's not going to make any impact. But we think that that's a load of caca and that actually one person's actions can be contagious and people may see you and be like, what you doing over there? And you explain to them and, and they're like, oh, okay, I dig that. I'll do that too. So we believe that one small change can can change the world. So what's that one call to action that you're most passionate about that you believe can change the world? Um, you know, you had given me this question in advance and I had scribbled some notes down um, and I'm ignoring them at this point, but um, it, Going it, there, there are so many. Um, if I have to narrow it down, um, you know, I'm, I'm the girl that speaks up. And I think that that's one of the most overlooked things in um, leadership and being yes. empowered is so often at the leadership table, people stay silent when they should be speaking up. Um, say your piece, open your mouth and speak up um, because it does make a difference. You're going to say the thing that was on other people's minds. You're going to ask the question somebody was too afraid to say. You're going to say the thing that needs to be said that we're not saying. Like, what now? What did he just No, yeah, yeah, we're doing that. No, we're not, you know, or whatever the case may be. Um, and do it with kindness, you know, just have that kindness in your heart because it really matters. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, um, funny cause at sometimes I wonder if I like spoke my mind too much and <laughs> became that person that's like always got something to say, but I regret nothing because of that. Like, if I didn't speak up in every meeting that I ever spoke up in, I would feel that unempowered and not able to actually say what needs to be said and stuff. So I, that is 
that's one of my favorite ones so far. Yeah, my my husband uh, is long, his his is um, famous for telling it. it you know, he, I have this saying around the house: "Why suffer in silence?" You know, <laughs> everybody's going to know how I'm feeling at any given time because listen, we can't. I can't solve it alone. I need your help, so you're all going to know. And and I feel yep. the same way in business. You got to you got to talk it out. I love it. Yeah, you got to talk it out. Don't let it just fester and linger because then that creates resentment and just. People like poor job satisfaction and like, let's just talk about the elephant in the room and get it out there. You can't solve in silence. You shouldn't yeah. suffer in silence. Yep. And it also lets you know what people, what people stand for. And like the great old Alexander Hamilton said, if you don't, if you don't stand for nothing, Burr, what do you fall for? I'd get there that you go. In. I like it. Well, we are so excited to have had this conversation and we appreciate you taking your time and throwing us an extra 15 minutes in for us <laughs> and letting us go rogue on some of these questions. We uh, really appreciate it. I've had so much fun. You guys are the best. And, um, you know, a hundred times back, you inspire me as much as you've said I inspire you. I really love to see what you're doing and keep at it. Thank you. Thank Please. you. We hope you enjoyed the show. You can find the show notes at the h2duo.com slash water in real life, where we have all the resources mentioned in this episode and much more. We're incredibly passionate about being a resource for the industry, and we can only do that with your help. So show us some love by simply subscribing to the podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes so we can become the only do-a-run show about water. Get us a little bit of shelf space on that iTunes homepage. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore H2Duo. Be sure to give us a comment, feedback, shout out. We'd love to hear from you. We hope you learned something new, got a little inspired, and most importantly, took action on something today that will move you one step closer to your goal. Until next time, remember what one of our favorite quotes says, those who tell the stories rule the world. <laughs>